you know, it's a blessing to be back with each other tonight. Look, we spent like a month away from each other. You know, uh, the hurricane came, and then I was gone, and we spent a long time apart with each other. But tonight, we, we start uh, Sermon 2 of the series we started entitled God Is. And I want to go over kind of what the objective of this series is before we get into the second sermon, because it's been a while since we've been here, and I, I want us to have... And an understanding about why we're studying what we're studying, so that way you can can grasp something better from it. You see, when when people know me, they know me as Cade. And I answer to that because why? It's my name, right? The word Cade has meaning to me because it is my name. But those who genuinely know me, they know the identities of me, and they know the labels of me, right? They know me as Cade, the the student of history. Like I love history, right? They know me as Cade, uh, uh, the uh, husband, right? Or Cade, the youth pastor. Cade, the outdoorsman. You see, when we get to know someone better, we see more than just their names. We see their identities and their labels, the things that make them up, right? We don't just, I don't just know you for your name. I know you for the things that you behold, the things that you are. That's how I really get to know somebody. If you wanted to get to know me, you wouldn't just want to know who my name is. You would want to know what I like, right, and what I do, the things that I take joy in, right? That's why we're embarking on this journey together and doing this series so we can study the names, but not only the names, the identities and the labels of God because the knowledge that we'll learn from that will deepen our love for him. This week we have an on-time message. And I'm excited to study this label of God, this identity of God. With all the aggravation and separation and depravity that we face as a country. Does anybody know what depravity is? Diversity? No. It's a good shot. Depravity is uh, uh, depraved, right? Depraved means like moral corruption, wickedness. Can we all agree that we're kind of facing that as a country? We're facing moral corruption corruption and wickedness. See, this is things that have punched our country in the time that we have passed in, in, in historically since we've been a country and even presently. But we need a reminder. And tonight I hope that this is that reminder. See, we've become, and I say we because I mean we, we've become so attached to like certain principles and, and, and people and politics that we have become identified in those things. That's all we think about. That's all we talk about. That's all we have passion about. They've infected our minds. And in turn, we've given, given uh, the authority to that. We've become confused. We just need a reminder. A reminder that regardless of, of, of who's president, reminder that, that it doesn't matter if uh, one wretch won over another wretch because we're all wretches. A reminder that regardless of the past year how 2020 has been you know crazy <laughs> to say the least Remi- regardless of those things that we stand on one true fact that Jesus is king that Jesus is king you see true knowledge true knowledge of the sovereignty of Jesus is seen through his title of king It allows us to see past 
what's going on crazy on this earth. It allows us to see the through through the chaoticness and see the peace of Him. You see, that is though only though if we find our identity in Him and not in something of this world. We find our identity in His kingship and not of this of the things of this world that so many people are finding their identity in right now. Right, politicism. Our, 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 we, we, we put our, our whole minds and hearts into something that doesn't really have any type of weight in regard to eternity. See, tonight we talk about how he's the king, as you can see. He is the king. See, two boys were, uh, were, were bored on a rainy summer's day, and they decided to play with, uh, to do a, a puzzle together, right? It must have been real bored, and it must have been like 30 years ago. <laughs> so nobody would do that anymore. And they were having real trouble figuring out what this puzzle was. They couldn't fix anything. And finally, one of the boys turned the box lid over, right? He's like, oh, oh, I see what this is. It's supposed to be a medieval court scene with a king surrounded by his courtiers. And, and he, he was able to see that because he flipped the box over. Once they recognized that, the puzzle was easy. They were able to finish it. You see, when we realize who the king is, when we realize what he stands for, when we realize where he is meant to be located, meaning in the center, and what all that means to us, just like those young boys, things become a bit clearer, a bit easier to work out. The puzzle seems to be a little more understandable, not as confusing and, and hazy. This leads us to our scripture for tonight, guys. It comes from 1 Samuel. We're going back to the Old Testament. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. It goes as follows. But the king, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, God, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in the, all that they have said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from this day, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways in which the kings shall reign over them. You see, Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was a prophet, and he was approached by Israel. They wanted a king, something that other nations had, right? They didn't realize that they already had a king. They, they had become confused. They had a king in God, a king in Yahweh, a name that we will discuss at another time. They had a king in God, yet they, they sought out something else. They sought out something from this earth. See, our text helps us understand because we are able to, 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 to understand what this text says because we can see it in our time today. We've become a little cloudy. We've, we've forgotten that we have a true king. And we're seeking one out in, in human beings. What, is, what does the word say about that? Let's ask a couple of questions and see. First, what is a king? And how is God our king? What is a king? And how is God our king? Psalm 47, 6 through 7 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. 
Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. What is this king? Our king, our king is a king that sits in the highest possible position of power while yet he remains lowly and gentle at heart. He had the power to create the entire world out of nothing, yet he desires for you to know him on a real and personal basis. Wow. Why is God our king? God is our king because he is creator. Human kings often come into power because of why? Because of who their last name is, right? Or, or if they were the firstborn of this heritage. That's how people are, are usually become kings. Think of, uh, of the supreme leader of North Korea right now. Kim Jong-un. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Right? He comes out of the Kim dynasty. Do you think he was elected to that position? The only reason he's in that king position, and I say that in quotes... Is because of who his grandfather was, Kim Soon. That's the only reason that Kim Jong Un is the supreme leader of North Korea because of who his grandfather was, right? God is officially king because he's creator. No one put him in that position. He wasn't born into that position. He just is that position. Psalms 91 and 2 says that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you or before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole land from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Excuse me. Now, that's a king I can get behind. A creator. Not only not only was he the creator, he was created and he created and he was uh, uh, before creation. It's uncomprehendable. Before the mountains were formed, you were God. God is the king with all power, yet humble enough to give us our own free will. Israel had so much time while traveling with Moses. Does anybody off the top of their head, just a trivia question, how many times, I mean, how long of a time did Israel spend in the wilderness with going towards the promised land? Forty years. You was about to say it too, wasn't you, buddy? Forty years walking around and around and around. Forty years. Israel had so much time while traveling with Moses to see the power of God. They also had all the time in the world to see that his power was their provision, yet they still chose another king. They still chose another king to follow. Do you see God's power through his creation? You should. Darren and I were in the mountains this past week. Huge, huge caverns, just great beauty. And you can't help but see those things and just see the, the magnificence, the kingship of our creator. How he gave every little thing such unique design. Referring to you too. Nobody's like you. It doesn't matter if somebody tries to be like you. It doesn't matter if you try to be like somebody else. You will never be that person because you were knitted in your, your mother's womb by God. You're unique. What a beautiful creator. Do you recognize how different of a king he is? That he would choose 
to want, uh, uh, I, I want to use this terminology because we're talking about kingship, but he would choose a peasant, you know, in, 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 in our society, in societies for millennia, kings did not associate with peasants. Peasants were the, the nobodies that farmed the land. But yet our king chooses the lowlies of this world, people like me and people like you, to come to know him in a passionate way. You and I have free will. What do you freely choose? Brings me to my second point. Why do we reject the true king? God is not totalitarian. Totalitarian. Darren makes fun of my pronunciation of words sometimes. What's the newest one? Miracle? What? I, I, I just think that's... A, it's miracle. I know Darren's told me. But for some reason I say miracle. Huh? Say it with an A. Anyway. Miracle. Miracle. God is not totalitarian. What is totalitarian? Total and absolute control. Perfect definition, McKelvey. Total and absolute control. God, God is not, but total and absolute control in a negative connotation. Right? Adolf Hitler. Mm, that's what, that's, you should sound like that. That's a totalitarian ruler. Joseph Stalin. All right. He was the, he was the premier of the Soviet Union. Terrible man. Could could possibly be worse than Adolf Hitler. Very bad guy. Very bad guy. I, if we're in history class, I would venture off on that rabbit, but I can't chase it. Bad people. Those are totalitarian rulers. God does not force us. He does not force us to take him as our savior. We have, we have this gift of free will, and we're given a, a choice we often choose in that choice the things that are contrary to God. So why do we reject God? Because we choose to. God delivered Israel out of the grip of Egypt in miraculous fashion. And some of us can say the same, right? Maybe, maybe he delivered you out of yourself, out of your self-absorbedness. It's okay, just turn it off. It's, he, may have, he may have delivered you from your self-absorbedness. It may have delivered you from craving the approval of others through likes and comments. He may have delivered you through something that was burdening you, anxiety, depression, right? Just like he delivered Israel. He delivered them through a miraculous way. But even though God has delivered them, and even though God has delivered us, they and we still choose what is contrary to God. I love in our scripture what God does, what he says to Samuel. Even in the rejection of his chosen people, he still finds the means to make sure that Samuel is not the one feeling rejected. Right? And it, as Christians, we're given the charge to what? Go and do what? The Great Commission. Spread the gospel, right? To tell everybody about Jesus Christ. And this right here is, is an example of the rejection of God, but it's also, it also is something to make us feel confident in, in that people that we show the gospel to 
are not always going to accept it. But they're not rejecting you. Right? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. The scripture said that, uh, that Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. He tells him, don't worry. They desire this other king not because they reject you, because they reject me. You see, when we lose focus of him, when we lose focus of the one who delivered us, we no longer have him in the center. Like those kids in that, that jigsaw puzzle they, that we see, we see and we run to the opportunity of rejecting him and we press into something else. When we lose sight of him being in the center, things are confusing. Prime example is of today. Good people. Christian people. People who have their, had their eyes set on God for many years have lost their focus. They've lost their focus and they've become so wrapped up in, in political ideologies that they have sought a new king without even knowing what they're doing. They no longer can see that the king is in the center. In a totalitarian regime, ultimate power reigns in the hands of a dictator, right? But God is king. He's not the dictator. Just like Sto Joseph Stalin, if you didn't do as he said, you just showed up, you just wound up being missing. We have free will. God desires us to recognize him as king and choose to follow him, but get one thing right. The choice is yours. He will never force you to do so. Brings us to our third final point. The characteristics of a true king. Words have meaning, right? Words have meaning as we saw at the beginning of this lesson. Words have meaning and, and, and the title of king has meaning. It has components that make his kingship stand out. Hebrews 1, 3 through 4 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God is king. He is powerful. We've already talked about his power. God is king. He is the purifier. No other king has the ability to purify our souls. Other things may that we put in the place of his kingship, that we, that we put our passions in, they may try to make you feel like those things can purify you, but man, let me tell you right now, they can't. Nothing can purify your souls but the king. But the king. Nothing can purify our souls but the blood of Jesus. He is king. He is such a humble, powerful, purifying king that he gave himself up so that you may have the opportunity to know him. Do you know this purifying characteristic of our king? Have you had that moment of acknowledgement? In closing, I just want to rehash See, when, when we look at the world we are in, do you see complete chaos? Yes. It's chaotic. Are you connected to the carnality of this world? It's hard, it's hard to not see the chaos, but are you able to see the peace within the chaos? When you start to clear the fog 
like those boys and flip the box of the puzzle over where is the king located? Is he even on the box? Or, or, or are you so lost that you can't even see him? That's a question for us to think about. Tonight's objective, guys, was that we may study and see the kingship of God and that in itself we may have peace in the midst of the chaos that we see today. Our allegiance can only be to one king. What is your allegiance to? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, God. Lord, we, we study your name. Lord, we study your identity, God. You are king. You are all-powerful, God. You are, are the creator, God. You are the purifier of our souls, God. And I ask that if we have not had that purifying opportunity with you, God, that, that you come and make yourself known in that situation, in that person's life, and do that, Lord. Lord, I pray that we all seek after you, that we desire to know you more, God. And Lord, your word says that those who seek after you and seek after you with their whole heart, they will find you. So we stand on that promise, God, that we will find you when we seek after you. Lord, we give you our, 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 our attention and our allegiance for you are the only king. In Jesus' name, amen.